Well, good morning. You doing all right? So good to see you. Glad that you are in here warm and safe and happy. There's so many things to celebrate here at First Baptist Church, Louisville. My name is Josh. If you are a guest with us, um, as it's already been said, we are so thrilled uh, that you are worshiping with us this morning. You could go anywhere and uh, you or nowhere. You could have stayed home. And so we are so glad that you are here. Um, this is my second week in, in the pastorate here. And well, there are so many obvious things, like I've said, so many things to celebrate. One of the things to celebrate at uh, First Baptist Church is our staff. The staff at this church is phenomenal. And so what I want to do real quickly is if you are on staff at this church, if you would stand um, just for a second so we can give you um, some applause. Would you all applaud the great work that they've done? Phenomenal, phenomenal work. Now, stay standing, stand back up, staff, stand back up. They have to do it because they're on staff. Um, If you are a family member of one of these staff people, would you stand up as well? Because you've done such great work. All right, you can sit down. Man, I'm so thrilled and appreciative of the work that you have done um, as staff. Just want to tell you that you have led well, that you've served well, hardships and, and challenges, questions that are out there. Uh, but um, really, really excited to continue to work with you. Um, if you'll have me, I'm excited to, to stay around. All right. If you have your Bible, turn to Genesis chapter three, Genesis chapter three. Guess what I heard this week? Guess what I heard? You're not going to guess. I'll tell you. I... Um, I just got home. I just got home. I was pulling into our driveway there. And over the radio, I heard these words. It's five o'clock in Texas. Actually, it was this. It's straight up five o'clock in Texas. How many of you know what I'm talking about right there? Yes. Then they played a George Strait song. On 99.5, the wolf, the, uh, the country music station here in DFW, Every day at five o'clock, they will say, it's straight up five o'clock in Texas. And then they play a George Strait song. Any George Strait fans in the house? So good. He's pretty good. Not as good as Garth Brooks, but he's pretty good. Uh, The true king of country. Yeah, I love that. I missed it. I really did. The last five years in Arkansas, when anybody would ask me what time it was, if it was on the hour, I would say, it's straight up three o'clock in Arkansas. And they would look at me strange. Eventually they ignored me. Uh, but it really was a cool thing to hear. It's the first time I heard it since moving back here to Texas. And while they were just communicating a very simple message, it's five o'clock in the afternoon. To me, it felt like home. Those words were this strange, just, uh, just, uh, rush through my mind and through my heart that I am actually back home because it is straight up five o'clock in Texas. When you read the Bible, something similar can happen. See, words will have a direct meaning and they're not hard to understand. You read the words and they mean what they mean. However, sometimes we can get trapped or maybe lazy in that we just read the words to mean what they mean. And then we don't ever ask ourselves, well, how does this apply? How does this apply to my life? How does this change the way that I 
live. We can read stories and we'll know the facts, who, what, where, when, and how. We read poetry and we're moved by the beauty and the feeling, but we never ask ourselves, in what way does this story change my life? Does it, does it make me live differently? Because that's why it's written down. It's the purpose behind it. The story we're going to focus on this morning is super easy to follow. The snake talks to the lady. God speaks. There's food involved. But applying it is less easy. It's, it's more difficult. It's more challenging to read that story and then to know exactly how it is that we need to apply it to our lives. You know why? Well, for obvious reasons, you haven't spoken to a snake lately, right? So if you read that story and go, this is the next, next time a snake starts talking to me, this is, this is what I need to do. Also, to my knowledge, there's no trees that we're not allowed to eat from, right? So we're looking at these two elements that are very big in the story. We know the story. We know the details. You know the players. You know the, the words that they say. But then the question, the more pressing matter for us as a gathered church when we go to our small groups is, but now how should I live? How is that different? We're going to look at that. We're going to look at that this morning because the radio simply said in a creative way that it was the end of the workday. But I felt, I heard something different. And hopefully today we'll leave here knowing, feeling something different. Let's pray together. God, thank you for all the ways that we celebrate. Thank you for the the gifts that you give us. The, The change of the seasons. The warmth and the cool. And the blessings of a building to gather together. That many Christians throughout the world would just love to have. So we are so very thankful for these blessings. God, we are thankful for a church staff that loves and leads and serves. God, we pray a blessing over them. God, today, in this moment, we, we pause. And we thank you for another blessing. The Bible. This thing that we hold in our hands, may it be a treasure to us. May we read it to know the words, to know the details, to know the stories and the narratives and the grand narrative. But God, may it change our lives so that we can live and walk and breathe and move to be more like you. And God, where we do not measure up to your standard, give us the faith and the courage and the strength to do just that. It's in Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. So we're going to be in Genesis chapter 3, 1 through 3. I'm going to read a few lines um, to you. The story goes all the way throughout 3. You're going to need to read it later, study it later. But contextually, this is the story of the fall. In, in theology or in Christian circles, when you hear somebody talk about the fall, this is what they're talking about. Genesis chapter 3, God had created all things very good. Good, in fact, he says in 1 and 2. Of humanity, he said it was very good. And at that time, God and humanity had a perfect relationship, one with one another and one with God. There was peace, this internal and external peace with one another, peace with God. It's what the Jews call shalom. That was a perfect peace within and without, a perfect relationship. But the story that we're about to look at is how our representatives rebelled against God's design, his purpose and his authority, and then they broke Creation. It's in that rebellion against the creator king. And from that point forward, we have all been rebels and in need of a hero. 
That's why we call it the fall. From good and very good to broken and what we see now on the news and in gossip and on social media. That's where the world cracked. And while the story is easy to understand, we're going to hear, we're going to listen to the voices in the story. Today we're going to listen to three voices. There's going to be three voices. The first one is the serpent and the second one is Eve. Let's look first at the serpent. The story calls uh, this person, this individual, the serpent, but it's very clear that this is Satan speaking. A very real person that tempts humanity and wars against God. He is dangerous and very crafty. The serpent here is more cunning than all of the other in creation. I cannot help but when I read this story, uh, picture this, the snake on the jungle book. Do you all remember what I'm talking about there? And I hear her talk in that way. And so um, all the S's get drug out just a little bit there. So let's read Genesis chapter 3 verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say? You can't eat from any of the trees in the garden. And in other words, the, 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 the serpent comes over and says to Eve, did God really say you can't eat any of these trees? That's what he says. It's this question. And unlike the question you might ask one another or the question um, that you're asked at the uh, fast food drive through line, the question is not designed to get information. Sometimes you'll ask those sort of questions. Somebody will say, well, how far is it to such and such? And what's the temperature outside? And how bad are the Cowboys going to beat the Green Bay Packers today? They'll ask those questions and you want information. Satan is not trying to get information. When he says, does God really say, this is a question that is designed to do a few other things other than to derive information. And it's important that we understand that. The first one, and this is drastically um, impactful for your relationships, if we can grasp this. This is what Satan does. This question is designed to fill the gap with distrust. To fill the gap with distrust as a church as first baptist church louisville as christians as married people and individuals and singles and we need to learn that phrase sometimes there is a gap between you and me and you and one another between spouses between parents and uh, their, their children between teachers and students this gap and oftentimes, what we will unfortunately do is fill that gap with distrust. We don't understand what's going on. And so we begin to question. We begin to not trust the other person. This is why so many people believe in conspiracy theories. It's not that people have seen aliens or not that you have seen an alien. It's just that you don't trust the government. So you're pretty sure it's lying, right? The biggest proof for aliens is that we don't trust the government. And that's not actually proof. But we live our lives that way. We don't understand what's going on. We don't understand the concept. We don't understand the conversation. And so naturally, Satan begins to whisper in our ears. And we fill that gap with distrust. When we don't understand, we think, obviously they're up to something. Obviously they're trying to get me. Obviously they've got an agenda or motives. That's what Satan does. That's why he asked the question, did God really say was to divide out. Remember I said, at this point in creation, 
Humanity and God had a perfect relationship. And what Satan tried to do was slither in between that and make a divide. The first thing that he does there is fill this gap with distrust. I have a friend who says that most of our relational issues would resolve if we didn't assume the worst motives in others and we didn't assume the best motives in ourselves. If we just gave people the benefit of the doubt. I don't understand. When you don't understand, think to yourself. I don't understand, but I am sure they are trying their best. I don't understand, but I am confident that it will all work out. I don't understand, but I am, I am absolutely positive that they mean the best for me, for our organization, for our family, for our class, for our team. I assume the best. And you know, as a Christian, we can do that with everybody. We just walk around assuming the best because ultimately God has the best in mind and ultimately God is in charge. So you can just constantly fill the gap with trust. You can just constantly say, I don't understand, but God will work it out. The second thing that he does there is he plants a seed. He's just planting a seed within our heart. What we need to understand and what we need to rekindle in our culture and in our world is that Satan did not make Eve rebel against God. Satan did not make Adam rebel against God. He just planted the seed and she took the actions. She was responsible for her own actions. He was responsible for his own actions. In other words, whatever it is you did, the devil didn't make you do it. He just planted a seed and you took that. You are, hear me on this, because this is gospel truth. You are responsible for your own actions. You are. Satan divided, filled the gap with distrust, and planted a seed that she would let grow, that she let take over. Here's the other thing that I want to mention here. Satan doesn't tempt Eve. Notice this. Satan doesn't tempt Eve to murder, to cheat on her taxes or the homework. He isn't telling her to step outside of her marriage. He is tempting her to question God's design and purpose and authority in her life. And he still does the very same thing. That's what Satan will tempt you to do, is to question God's design, his purpose, and his authority in his, in your life. One of the ways that we know that Satan is whispering is when you have some of these markers, this pervasive distrust of godly authority in your lives. It could be your parents. It could be teachers. It could, you know, the, the coach tells you to run and you automatically assume, oh, well, why does he, why do we have to do this? You know? Why do we, and, and like when you question that, what you're saying in your own heart as an athlete to the coach is, this coach is trying to kill me. Which he's, he or she's not. They're not trying. The obvious answer is trying to make you better at this thing. It's the same thing. Teacher gives you homework. Why do we have to do this? This is, this is dumb. I don't want to do this. It's to make you better. You have to trust that the teacher, that the coach, that the pastor, that the principal, that the officer, that whatever it is, has some sort of design or purpose and you just don't understand it. So you fill that gap with trust. That's what Satan hissed in Eve's ear. And then she responded. And to be honest with you, it's her response that I gained the most uh, context or the most helpful content. I hope to learn from her failure. She answers the question with what seems like a pretty good answer. Look at Genesis chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. And the woman, that's Eve, said to the serpent, 
We may eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. Consequently, did y'all know that this, this little text here is the theological framework for why women can't make up their mind on where they want to eat? Because <laughs> the first time one of them did, they doomed all of humanity. So from that point forward, I'm really glad y'all laughed because I was so nervous to tell that joke. (laughs) And for the few of you, I won't do it again, I promise. There are a few things that are happening here as well. One of them is real subtle. The other one is much more obvious. Let's look at the first one, the subtle one. Because the subtle things are the ones that really kind of bite you. Like if if it were a snake, it would have bit you. Her focus is on the prohibition as opposed to the freedom. You see, remember Satan asked her, did God really say that you couldn't eat of all of these trees? In other words, like if we put it in our words, he said, did God say you can't eat any of this? Is that what God said? And obviously that's not the answer. The most direct answer for her to say is, no, he didn't say that. Get lost. Like that's the most obvious answer. But her answer shows a little bit of her heart. It shows that distrust. It shows that part in there. She says, we can eat all of them, but I mean that one. He won't let us eat that one. We tend to do that, right? We focus in on the prohibition instead of the freedom. We tend to gravitate towards the thing. She should have just answered, no, that's not what he said. We can eat any of these. Go away. But she focuses in on the one that she's not. We do that as well. With God's rules about sex and food and money and possessions. We spend so much time talking about um, like the things that God says we're not supposed to do, right? We shouldn't do. We spend all of our time there mad that God has limited us, that he has stifled us, that he won't let us do whatever it is that we want to do. We ought to be able to eat the entire thing of Oreos and not gain any weight or feel sick. But God has put consequences in our lives. God has put consequences there and we focus in on that. And it's like we are just, it's just a part of being human that we focus on the prohibition instead of the freedoms. I had a friend in high school, his name was Chad. When Chad was really young, he ate all of the bananas at the house. And then he gave them all back. (laughs) And all the way up through high school, he could not stand the sight or the smell or anything of bananas. Y'all ever know anybody that's done something similar, right? I love bananas. He couldn't even be near them, right? Because too much of a good thing is a bad thing. Chad knows that. God knows that. But we constantly fight that. Too much of a good thing is a bad thing. Something else that is much more obvious. She not only focuses on the prohibition as opposed to the freedom, but she adds to what God said. In Genesis chapter 2 verse 16, God said very clearly, do not eat it. Or you will die. Don't eat it. Or you will begin to die. She says to Satan. Of the tree in the midst of the garden. Which consequently this is not the tree in the middle of the garden. The tree of the middle of the garden is the tree of life. This is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So it's near the middle. But she she says. Of the tree of the midst of the garden. God said we cannot eat it or touch it. And then we will die. Could you imagine if that's what she believed? Now, I don't know if she added to it or if maybe Adam added to it. Because in chapter 2, God says that to Adam. So did Adam add the 
don't touch it situation? Or did she just assume and think to herself, well, if you can't eat it, then you surely shouldn't touch it or you will die. And then could you imagine how her faith falls apart? How her, 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 how her understanding crumbles when Satan comes up and he's holding whatever this fruit is and he's not dead? I thought we would die, but obviously we didn't die. So he tempts her to eat it. And either way, she did not know what God had said. And she opened the door. She opened the door. What they're doing here is the very first form of what we call legalism. Legalism. I've got this whole thing that I'll explain to you one day about the middle of the road. And we often very much focus on um, one side. Like if we go too liberal, we'll fall off the side. They'll call it the slippery slope. But what we often don't realize is there's a slippery slope on both sides of the road. You can go too liberal, too free, too without law, too without rule, and end up in a bad place. But you can also add too many rules. And both sides, legalism and fundamentalism, will send your soul to hell. In legalism, what happens is there is a rule. You cannot do this. And then we add a rule just so you don't get close enough to maybe break that rule. And then we maybe add another one. The church that I grew up in, the kind of Baptist church that I grew up in, loved this. It was our favorite sport. We would add more rules and more laws and more rules and more laws until all of a sudden it was a sin to wear jeans. Until all of a sudden we couldn't go to a uh, a blockbuster. It's like Netflix, but for real, like you grab the movie. We couldn't go to one of those. Why? Because the Bible says that thou shalt not lust. All right, that's a good, he did say that. We shouldn't do that, right? But what if, um, you know, you went to that place and you rented a movie that had something inappropriate in it? That would be bad, right? I can go there. That's probably not a good thing to do. So instead of even being tempted, you can't go to the movie place, even if you were renting perfectly fine things like Mario Brothers 3 for your Nintendo. Uh, That's like PlayStation, but different. And so there was this rules, these laws that eventually it got to the point where in our church, I can still picture where the blockbuster was there in Athens, Texas, where my family, my parents were uncomfortable parking near the blockbuster just to go into the other store. Someone might think we're doing something wrong, right? As a family, that's super weird to think about, but that's what it was. That's legalism that's what she did either adam did that or she did that and very very often we're like well where is the line i hear that all the time from good meaning people well then where is the line the line is where god put it so hold the line hold that line you don't have to add more lines he knows what he's doing now at the same time there is wisdom in removing yourself from situations in which you have a particular weakness If you're given to an excessive personality, whether that's food or alcohol or something like that, it is wise for you to remove yourself from certain situations where you won't be tempted to fall. If you're given to road rage, it is wise to not drive on Justin, right? Just back up a little bit. Take another way. Remove yourselves from those situations. I don't know if she did that, but either way, this is legalism. It is difficult 
It's a difficult line to hold as Christians. That's what makes it challenging. But thankfully, he wrote it down. Now, Adam doesn't speak in this story. So we can't look at him, but he is just as guilty. He was right there, right next to Eve as she is being tempted. He is the one that God gave the responsibility to protect her and to watch out for her. And he didn't steward that relationship. It's not because Adam was spiritually uh, superior. It's not because Adam was stronger. It's just that that too God gave that responsibility to. And he fell down on his job and she rebelled. And so collectively as our representatives, they broke creation. And I want to look at a third voice. I'm going to look at a third voice here in a minute. We hear Satan say, did God really say? We hear Eve say, I think God said, we're going to look at a third verse. Before we do, I want to tease something out. Let me ask you this question. What would be wrong with knowing the difference between good and evil? Right? This is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What would be wrong with that? Isn't that what we're supposed to do? Isn't there discernment in that? Here's one theologian, and I thought this was super helpful. His name is John Walton, and he explained it this way. God's prohibition of the tree need not lead us to conclude that there was something wrong with what the tree gave. Remember, God had created everything good. Rather than God putting the tree there simply to test Adam and Eve, that's what I've heard my whole life. He just put it there to mess with them. It is more in keeping with his character to understand that the tree would have had use in the future when the time was right. The first couple would be able to eat from it. In other words, the sin wasn't eating a particular fruit. It was stepping outside of God's plan. It is helpful for me to understand that because very often that's where I mess up. It's not that the thing that I'm partaking in, it's not that the action or the feeling, it's just that it is the wrong time or the wrong measure. The tree is still the same temptation for us. At some point, that tree had a plan in God's plan for the first couple. It's yet that they stepped out of that plan, out of God's design, out of God's will for the wrong time and the wrong measure. So I told you, we're going to listen to three verses or voices. The first one is Satan. And what did he say? Did God really what? Say, perfect. And the second one was Eve. And what did she say? I think God said. Look at the third verse or the third person. He's not physically present in the story. However, Jesus has a very similar experience in Matthew chapter 4. Jesus is tempted there in a very similar way. Satan comes to Jesus while he is alone, hissing and using food to tempt our Savior, that very base need. And Jesus rejects Satan's first temptation by quoting the word of God. Satan comes up to Jesus and says, hey, you hungry? Make those stones bread. He uses hunger. He uses food to tempt Jesus. He used food to tempt Eve. So if that's your weakness, like all of us, we're all in the same boat. It's food. Jesus doesn't respond with, I think God said. He says, it is written. Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 3. So Satan takes him up to a high place and says, throw yourself down because God said that the angels will protect you. You won't be hurt because God will protect you. In other words, what Satan is asking him is, do you trust God? Do you trust him? 
What Satan is trying to do with Jesus and God our Father is to what? Fill the gap with distrust. Jump off and see if God will protect you. Jesus responds by quoting Deuteronomy 6.6. 6. Again, he says, it is written. And essentially, he tells Satan, nah, I trust God. I trust him so much, I'm not even going to jump. Lastly, Satan shows him all the kingdoms of the world. And he says to him, if you will bow to me, I will give you all of these. Now think about that for just a second. What would be wrong with that? Wasn't Jesus destined by God to be the king of kings, the name that is above every other name? When Jesus was born, isn't this the name that all other names will bow a knee to, that every tongue will confess that he is Lord? So what would be wrong with all the kingdoms of the world? Being given to Jesus for a short time. They were given to Satan, the ruler, principalities of this place. And so why wouldn't it be? Because it wasn't God's time or his plan. Jesus would be high and lifted up through the cross, through the sacrifice, through the propitiation of our sins. That's God's plan. That's what Jesus was destined to do. That was his plan. That is why he came. So to take this temptation from Satan was to step out of God's purpose, his design, and his authority. And Jesus, again, says, it is written, Deuteronomy 6.13. And he says, I'm not going to listen to you. We could spend an entire sermon on just Jesus' temptation, and maybe later on we will. But here's the difference. Here's the contrast that I want to show you between Eve and between Jesus. Is Jesus knew God's word and trusted God. In his weakest moments, by himself alone, hungry and in need, he trusted God and he knew his word. Satan says, did God really say? Eve says, God said, and Jesus says, it is written. That's how this impacts our lives. That's how we know the difference. That's how we read that story. There are all sorts of themes and motifs in Genesis chapter 3. All sorts of beautiful poetry that is woven into what we call the big grand narrative of the Bible. There's death, there's curse, there's toil, sweat, thorns, the tree, struggle, and opposition. All of these will be traced through Jesus. He becomes the curse who hung on the tree, sweats drops of blood, and like a seed is laid into the earth only to spring forth life. Jesus is not just the example. He is the power and the ability by which we live as people who represent God and honor God. It's not as if within our own strength and our own ability, we could just mimic Jesus. We don't have the ability to do that. We don't have the strength to do that. We need to be in Christ, in Jesus. And the Bible says, and for a long time, Christians gathered in churches like this or in coffee shops or along the side of the road have said this same message. That if you will trust and believe in Jesus, then you can be saved. Believe it in your mind and in your heart and confess it with your mouth. Then you will be saved. You will be in Jesus. And I want to invite you to do that today. If you haven't done that, I'm going to give you just an opportunity right now, real quick to do it. I'm not going to make you close your eyes or raise your head or anything like that. Close your eyes or raise your hand. But here for just a second, everybody just sit back, relax. I want everybody to focus in on the stained glass that is above and behind me. You see that? You see that cross? I want you to see that. And I want you to answer the question, have you trusted Jesus as your Savior? You see that cross, the symbol of his pain and his suffering? 
The price that he paid. Have you personally trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you believed in your heart and confessed with your mouth that he is God? He's your Savior. He's your Lord. If you haven't, I'm going to give you sort of the model of a prayer. You don't have to say these exact words, but I want to give you sort of the model. If you haven't and you want to, right now is the time to do that. You say something along this lines like, I am broken. I need Jesus. I don't, I don't understand everything. But I will fill the gap with trust. Like the person in the Bible who says, I believe. Help my unbelief. From this moment on, I trust you. In just a moment, we're going to give you an opportunity to respond. Everybody will be standing. We'll be singing. You can walk forward. You can follow Ethan's example. Make a public profession. You can talk to ministers that are down here. But for the rest of us, those of us, and even you now, how should we apply this? The first one and the obvious one is this, to know God's word. This is where the rubber meets the road. Do you know the Bible? Have you been a Christian? Have you been a church member for a very long time and you have never read the Bible through? You should change that. You should do that right now. Satan uses your lack of knowledge about the Bible against you. The greatest defense against against Satan is to know the Bible. I've got these um, uh, Bibles that we put out here in the lobby. They're on all sorts of tables. There's Bibles in the seat back in front of you, right there. These are the ones, it's not more special, but these are the one, the same translation that I use. Use whichever one you want, but this is the one I use. And so these are back there. If you don't have a Bible and you don't have the means to get a Bible, then get a Bible. We truly believe in this book. We believe it is the word of God. And so we want you to have one of those. Either way, if you don't have a Bible and you're picking one up or you do have a Bible and you're like, I've never read through the Bible. This is my favorite through the Bible reading plan. And we put them on all the tables out there. I want you to grab one. It's called the E, like E, 100 plan, okay? If you use the YouVersion Bible app, if you use the Bible app, you can find it in there. Just search E100. And it's pretty cool. It's 100 texts. They're very easy. Very, very easy. Like uh, I'm looking here on the 51st reading. It's going to be John 1, 1 through 18. That's it. That's that whole day. It is the 100 top stories throughout the Bible. So you may say, I've tried it before, Josh. But then I get to that so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat. And I didn't make it. All right, there are no so-and-so begats, all right? Those are, that's good stuff, and I'll preach it to you one day, but it's not in this one, all right? There's also no dividing of the land. There's no multiple, all that stuff, all right? It's good. It's, it's, good. it's all good. I promise it's all good, but the 100, these are the top, all right? So if you already have a plan, stick to it. If you don't have a plan, use that one. If you skip a day, don't skip two, all right? You stick to the plan in 100 days or maybe 150, 120. We will have read through the major stories of the Bible. Know God's word. And then the second thing is fill the gap with trust. You don't have to understand everything that God says to you right now. You don't have to understand. The Bible says that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. One day God says to his family, get up, go to a land that you do not know. And all the time God is saying that to us. I want you to do something. You're not going to understand it. Just follow me. Fill the gap with trust. And the third thing is to give yourself some grace. Everybody, there is not one single hero in the Bible who didn't mess up besides Jesus. Every one of our collective communal faith heroes, every one of them messed up. 
So give yourself some grace. You're like, I've tried to read the Bible before. I'm not really good at reading. I don't stick to plans. I'm horrible. Okay, all those three things are true, but give yourself some grace. It's all true. I'm horrible too, but he loves me still. So give yourself some grace. When I was fresh out of high school, uh, before going to college and then a little bit into college, I did air condition install. I installed air conditioners and commercial ones, not like the ones at your house, but commercial ones. Ones that the ductwork that was up in the roof were big enough that you could drive a truck through. Huge air conditioners, huge, massive, massive air conditioners. Lots of fun um, uh, for a, a young guy to do. And one day we were at a plant in Jacksonville, Texas. This huge plant. I don't know what they did, uh, but we had to wear hair nets. And at that time, that was relevant. But we... <laughs> We had to wear these hair nets. And um, one day, Jimmy and I were assigned by our uh, chief, you know, crew chief, to go up on the roof and to put this spray foam in the, the crack between the exhaust and this hole that we had cut in the big, the, the big roof. We had, to, we had to spray foam it in so that it would seal it in, keep it all um, sanitary and all that kind of stuff. So we did that. We went up on the roof and we had all of these cans. We went down to Ace and got all these cans. And we went up on the ladder with his bags. And, and we sat down and we got one of those cans. And we, we did the best we could. We just couldn't make any of the spray foam come out. None of it would come out. We tried another can. We just didn't know what we were doing. We thought we knew how to work these spray foam cans. And we didn't. So it's just me and Jimmy on the roof. All right. And so we were going to figure this out. So there was a welding rod nearby. And Jimmy grabbed the welding rod and we decided we were going to shove it in the top of that spout to let this foam come out. We were going to, we were going to kickstart it. That's what we decided to do in our collective wisdom. So we're standing there looking over this thing and he shoved it in there a couple of times and then all of a sudden that entire can of spray foam blew up all over us. Not a fire but sticky, rapidly drying foam <laughs> went erwer, all right? All over that roof and all over us. Mainly, it got my arm and the side of my head, but it was on that hairnet sort of thing like that. And this stuff dries instantly and it does not come off with soap and water. The only way to get it off was to literally rip out my arm hair with this stuff. And it hurt, it was bad, but Jimmy got the worst of it. Straight in his face, all up in his beard. He came to work the next day looking like he had mange. <laughs> he was like cutting stuff off, didn't have an eyebrow. He was a cool guy. He had tattoos everywhere. And he thought he looked cooler now. He's like, this is awesome, right? Our boss was really irritated with us. I don't know why. He said, Josh, Jimmy, listen. There's literally instructions on the side of the bottle. We didn't read them. And to this day, I don't know why we didn't read those. At least try it. He said, also, there's a warning not to do what you did. We held in our hands the instructions and the warnings. And we completely ignored it. You guys, listen to me. You hold within your hands the instructions and the warnings. 
And we ignore them all the time. And we get the stickiest of life's junk blown up all around us. And we just hobble through life going, this is fine. Know God's word and fill the gap with trust. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your scriptures. Thank you for the Bible. May we forever have a deep, unsatiable love for the Bible. May it dig deep within our hearts. May it govern the way that we govern ourselves. May it impact the way that we live our lives. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the instructions and the warnings. It's in Jesus' name that we pray together. Amen. At this point, I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to have our ministers and maybe their spouses, if they feel comfortable, to stand down here. And if you prayed that prayer while you looked at the cross a moment ago, I'm going to invite you to come down. Talk to anybody that is facing you. Y'all go ahead. Y'all stand out down here. If you just want somebody to pray with you, we'll be happy to pray with you. But you make a move now. As the music plays, you obey what the Holy Spirit has taught you to do.